Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together some of the best technical leaders from across the Nordics region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Hannah, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the UX UI market. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. I have some awesome guests with me today who are going to discuss old school design and whether or not we have lost the artistry and what impact that has on the industry and the work we produce today. But before we dive deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Stefan, could you introduce yourself first? Yep, Stefan Twardaklub, currently product designer at Walt. Um, Thank you, Stefan. And can you tell us one interesting thing about yourself as a designer? Uh, I think my favorite fact is originally I'm from Toronto, currently in Stockholm. And the one interesting project I worked on back then when I was in Toronto was I launched a medical cannabis website uh, nationwide. I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Jonas, could you go next? Just give us a little introduction to yourself. Right. So uh, I'm the CMO of a company called Besedo. We do content moderation for dating apps, online marketplaces, communities, forums, and gaming. I started out as a designer back in maybe 96 or 97. And out of the three of us, I'm probably the person who struggled most to transition from like table-based design to, to doing something that is actually a, a really good design or, or programming. So, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for that, Jonas. And Ylva, could you give us a little introduction to yourself? Hi, yeah, my name is Ylva Lundberg, and I currently work at Induce as a UX designer and design manager. And Induce is this large Swedish design agency specializing in UX. And um, I think that my interest in working in the field of UX sparked when I worked as a user acceptance tester some 20 years ago, and then realizing that finding bugs or solving them didn't um, make a great user experience. So I needed to be involved much earlier. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for that, guys. So now that we've established a little bit of context and a little bit of background for each of you and some of the reasons that you are interested in this topic or have a, a relevance to this topic, let's move on to the topic in focus. So you've all brought a question or a sub-discussion point, which we're going to move on to. Um, but I think actually we're going to start with Stefan's point today because when we discussed it earlier last week, you and I spoke a little bit about some of the other skills that people can gain from drawing in the first place. And all of this stemmed from quite a few different design managers, including some of you guys expressing to me that a lot of younger designers now coming out of design school don't seem to be trained in drawing or in kind of some of the more traditional visual arts per se. Um, and Stefan, you had some really interesting points about what impact that might have, 
not only on their drawing ability, but on, on some of their other skills. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah, I think that the main thing I had talked about was like, what kind of traditional skills does drawing teach people outside of just drawing itself? And a couple of ones that I like that came to mind for myself was one, the idea of like, when you're taught to draw, you're taught to abstract and not really look at what the form is at hand. So if you're going to draw a cup, you're always taught to break it down into its basic shapes, like it circles, it's rectangles, it's squares. And another one that came to mind today as I was thinking about this as well is like the other thing that I think design drawing also helps is there's a lot of things that I've noticed with designers that are coming out of school where they're just reading a lot and they're just kind of afraid to start or they want to do everything perfect at the beginning. And I think one of the things that drawing does is you learn all these techniques, but it really teaches you and pushes you to kind of try things out and learn as you do and just go and try it because you'll never know if it actually works for you. Um, and those kinds of things. So I think for me, those are the big skills from drawing, like learning how to look at things and break them down and abstract them and then recall them later if you need to. But then also just the the thought process behind uh, behind a lot of this too, is like just that, that thinking that drawing gives you to tackle problems. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Stefan. Jonas, you were uh, nodding along there. The uh, the listeners can't see, but <laughs> tell us what you're thinking. So, yeah. So I was wondering, like, uh, Stefan, would you would you say that that you started out drawing? Was that that your your like your passion? Because I wanted to draw comics when I grew up. That that's what I wanted to do. Like, and and I was considered like drawing more of a superpower than anything and I, I i am so angry with my mom because she her phone doodles are actually way better than anything that i can do and i'm a pretty skillful illustrator and, and i was just wondering was that something you set out to do originally yeah originally one of my passions was always drawing even as like a young kid and I, one of the things i've always wanted to do was i was originally going to get in wanted to get into animation because i loved cartoons and like yourself loved comic books but then quickly learned that I don't like drawing the same thing 24 times because there's better things to do than, than that. So I was going to quickly switch into medical illustration and technical illustration and then got into design that way. But, uh, but every painting, drawing class, anything I've ever taken, I mean, those skills I've, I've found transferable to tackling any problem, really. Awesome. Thank you for that. I mean, Ilva, do you have any traditional um, kind of training in drawing yourself or did you just naturally fall into this sort of design pathway? What was your experience with this? I started really like drawing when I was younger and um, I think I was really good at it. And I peaked at the age of 16 and then interest uh, grew in other um, areas instead. But I always think that I have that um, sort of interest in visualizing things and being able to see the physical world or to make things a bit more simpler, simplify it. I think drawings can do that. Or you can have a look at the actual physical world and translate it into a drawing. And that's a really nice thing to be able to zoom in and out of the reality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you find, obviously, as a as a de design manager at an agency, you you interact with a lot of different freelancers, a lot of different like types and levels of designers, do you think that there is a correlation there between their ability and their experience in kind of not just drawing, but painting and all the other kind of visual arts and being able to sort of abstract concepts and maybe play around with layouts on websites and things like that? 
pardon me, sorry, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> I can definitely see that they have a lot of interest in, I mean, being creative or artistic, but that is more of a kind of hobby. And being into design is much more of about research or being, they have a much more academic background. Mm. So that's more of a hobby and um, perhaps they could be much more, do a lot more of their artistic abilities in their actual work. Yeah, yeah. Jonas, what's your experience been with this as a as a higher level uh, kind of managerial position? What do you see in the designers that you work with? Yeah, I, I always say that, that I'm very interested in people that can draw because it, it naturally comes as really good storytellers. Usually people who draw can also like tell a really good story. And I, I think if anything, uh, that that's something that I'm missing sometimes in, in design work, that there is a story to be told, uh, whether that design is being translated to something that is an app or, or a website or, or even like, I don't know, something that is prompting you when you go and do medical visits or something. Like, there's a story to be told and people who do uh, nice drawings are usually really good at storytelling. And I think that that's, that's something that, that shouldn't be underestimated. Um, I think that's really, really important. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And we do talk so much, don't we, in the design process about telling a story. And even when it comes to kind of more the more corporate side of design, like maybe branding rather than illustration, is still a lot of it is about telling that story and kind of giving that like soul and personality to something that otherwise would just be a business model, right? So I think actually, yeah, that is a it's a very important and really transferable skill. Um, I mean, do you agree that some of the younger designers that you employ have kind of like lacked that drawing and therefore the sort of skills that might go alongside with it? I, I uh, oh, and I was so scared that I'm going to come off like Statter and Waldorf from the Muppets, you know, from the balconies, and I'm probably the only one old enough to know that reference, but, but like, oh, oh the young, the, the young designers of today, uh, I'm going to come off like that old, uh, old man screaming at a cloud uh meme but but i i i think i i don't think that it's necessarily important to be a good drawer that is not because sometimes you get hung up on like oh what, what you see someone posting something on instagram or dribble or behance or anything like the first immediate question that anyone will say oh um what tool are you using well what what app is that and it's like doesn't really matter. You could be drawing something on a napkin and it still be a compelling story because someone is actually doing something that is really, really interesting. So Yes, definitely. I think it's the the act of doing the drawing is more important than like the quality of the drawing itself. Stefan, do you have um, yeah. something to I, add I'm to with, this? Yeah, I'm also old man yelling at a cloud. Um, <laughs> type thing. I, I think I, love it. <laughs> uh, I, I echo what Jonas is saying about storytelling. And I think the other thing is like, uh, it's also just being comfortable with doing ugly sketches as well. I think everybody, like you're saying, on Dribble and all that, wants to show what it looks like at the end and not the work. And from what I've seen from like the great designers I've worked with in the different countries I've worked in, the ones that are comfortable just picking up a marker and going to whiteboard and, like, as you said, yeah. tell a story and just like draw a bunch of rectangles on a board and walk people through it. Because I've been in a couple of meetings where I guess the best way to describe it was they were loudly agreeing with each other so it's just two parties saying the same thing but differently until i got up and sketched on the board and they're like oh we were saying the same thing the whole time 
So those kinds of things. So it's like those kinds of skills I think are, are important. Even if they're rectangles on, on a piece of, on like a whiteboard or a piece of paper that show how they link together. I mean, yeah. you think that telling that story and bringing people together is a good one. Definitely. Definitely. And I love, I love what you said there. Cause I always think that something that we sometimes struggle with nowadays, a lot of the designers I speak with is that sometimes the client has an idea of what they want. But because they're not a visual thinker, they can't draw it out for you. And so they try and explain it in words and they're not always able to sort of directly translate it. And if you're going from what they're thinking to what they're saying into words in your head, and then you're like writing down a brief and the drawing comes so far down the line, then it can become so removed from what they originally imagined. Whereas if they can just say, oh, well, what if it was this and this and this and you can draw it out and then they can go, oh, actually, I meant for that to be a bit bigger. I meant for that to be over there or, you know, being able to sketch it out is it's a much more efficient way of kind of coming to that understanding when we're talking about a visual design. Right. Um, and I always think that's a really, a really important kind of factor when it comes into understanding your your client's work. Or I know it was for me when I did graphic design anyway. And um, talking about kind of the the ability to abstract things as well. I think, Stefan, that kind of brings us quite nicely into Jonas's um, point or one of one of Jonas's points anyway, um, which is, you know, we talked a little bit about how sometimes designers, especially kind of nowadays, have a bit of a tendency to make sort of the factory model. And do we think that maybe that's because they they don't necessarily have that practice with abstracting things, let's say. Um, and you compared it somewhat to Ikea. And I really liked that analogy, actually. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, it's, I I would say that, that, that ingenuity is probably something that is uh, mo not more favorable, but I see a lot of it coming out of because there's so many things that, that so many great tools that, that speed up the process for, for things to go from like nothing to a finished website or app or, or like, uh, and you can see people doing these amazing things. But, but also what happens is that if everyone is buying the PAX uh, closet system at Ikea, it tends to kind of look the same all the time. So I, I'm I there are some great tools like I'm I'm looking at things like Framer myself and I've done a lot of stuff on, on like Squarespace and all that, but it's it's like okay um, there are something gone missing in our hunt for like KPIs and just trying to get conversions it, uh, around every corner, and I swear to God if I hear someone else say something about below the fold again like I like it's 2023 I'm just gonna like rage quit that meeting but but I I I, I think there's my point where like everything if you look at 20 pages web pages from from like really successful companies if you look at like the first viewport you see is that it's going to be a header it's going to be an intro or or usbs and it's going to be a product image to the right and it's like everything's just shaped that way so i i thought it would be interesting to hear uh everyone else's thought like is there room for for doing remixes if you will on this and doing something completely different sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna interject here because actually i was thinking about um Stefan, you mentioned to me when we were speaking about, was it Jacob's Law? 
Yeah. And I know you must be thinking about it right now. I can see it on I've your face. I've got a couple. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like there's, there's like these laws in UX and one of them is called is Jacob's Law. And it's about like how your users spend 95% of their time outside of your own experience. So like don't try to do things overly different for them. I think there is like a, a big trade-off between like standardization and making sure people understand how things go through. Um, and like... I think I had a really good product lead when I was working in Toronto. He had this thing about, it came to design systems as well, but he also talked about it. Like the, he's like, uh, he talked about it being, being consistent and not conformity. So it's consistency over conformity. And it's like, I think there's a, a thing about being consistent um, in those things. Like you want obviously similar elements on pages and those kinds of things. I think the one thing that happens a lot of the times is a lot of people from what I've seen from designers I've worked with and companies I've worked in before, a lot of them just look around what people are doing in a similar industry. So if you're in fashion, you're always looking at other fashion brands and like what they're doing. And like, you're just trying to replicate and kind of, you're always playing this catch up. Um, and from the brands that I've worked with that do really well, they look outside of their themselves to do these kinds of remixes. Like, um, and back to that project I worked on in Toronto, like we had no way of selling this kind of stuff online. So we looked at like how you sold whiskey, coffee, underwear, everything online to figure out what you could do. But I think there is some consistencies that you need, but I think depending on how you break it, and I understand what you mean by it, having the pages all follow the same narrative and the same flow. And I think this goes back to also um, when you're, in a disjointed way, like your KPIs and your folds, there's just so many old standards that people are reading on Medium that sometimes come out of it. Like I said, I'm going to sound like an old man yelling at a cloud, but this is where it's going. <laughs> Do you think that there is space for something to be really, really different, I suppose? Or do you actually think that, you know, aside from that one in a million, it's it's just not going to work because people like to have that like familiarity? I think it's there. There's space for it, but to to a good extent, it's like one of the, the best thing about being a UX designer is you can always just say depends on anything, any answer that you want. <laughs> it really comes down to what you're trying to achieve and what the experience is. And e-com sites should like even if you go into a shopping mall, stores all have similar flows on how you go in and out of stores and physical locations. You know where to go check out. You know when you walk in, here are the displays. And they kind of follow that same format, but I think that expectation should come outside of things that you're doing. Mm. Um, so of course, if you're going to buy it, and then there's also a lot of things that come in that are different caveats that you always have to think about. At least the accessibility is huge. Um, and that's kind of one of the driving factors is like understanding how you can play with that within your toolbox and push that far enough mm. um, is a good way to do it as well. Yeah, I think that reminds me of something else you said, which uh, forgive me if I forgive me if I quote, quote wrong. Machine. Yeah, well, if I, do, if I do quote you wrongly, please correct me because um, you're much smarter than I am about this. But I think you said something about uh, not confusing innovation with invention, was it? Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. That's exactly what I said. Yeah, and I think that kind of, um, the, the idea of sort of remixing things kind of comes into that, doesn't it? Like, why reinvent the wheel when you could just change the wheel slightly and paint it a nice color? <laughs> Or just make it faster, different compounds, like how NASA's now doing airless tires. But yeah. See, I told you you were smarter than me. Like, my, my analogy was like, paint it green. And you're like, oh, well, we can do what NASA's doing. <laughs> no, I love that. And Jonas, you also sort of went folding on from that point. Um, you did go on to say a little bit that you think if you were a young designer nowadays, actually looking at the state of things and how 
how conformative many popular websites are now, you thought that you would find that a little bit discouraging. Do you do you still feel that way? Um, yes and no, but I always say that if if young designers coming out or anyone applying for a job and 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 we we have a look at what design they've done, I'm always always more interested in like process than I am of the finished product. I I want to see the 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 sketches, the notebooks, and and the mood boards that someone uh, compiled and 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 and. I'd be probably more interested in things that went into the bin than, than what actually ended up like us because it's all about decisions and 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 I get it like if you're a designer working on your own you don't have people to bounce off ideas from and it, you mm. kind of get stuck in this you start looking at dribble or behance and you get kind of caught up in what it's supposed to look like so I'm more interested in that kind of conversation uh, and I and I'd be very interested to hear about what Ilva, uh, because you, you you work in an agency, and I and I I reckon you you have a lot of these requests for for something that that is uh, outstanding or something different, and then uh, then that might not happen. You end up looking like conformative and and all that. I I would say that I wish that we had perhaps more requests for something magical or something that sparkles, but I once kind of. Thinking about what you said, KPIs, being a resource on our product team, delivering efficient design, making sure the outputs rather than outcomes are delivered. I think that is so, um, yeah, that's hindering the creativity or the, I mean, the possibilities that are missed because you are just focused on delivering on this sprint and the next sprint. And I was thinking about how as a product owner or a company that you have to really make sure that this is something that you would want to invest in or prioritize or see the value of it. Mm. And that made me curious, how how can we handle product owners or seeing the value? Yeah, I think um, just to, to interject there, I like how you use the phrase magical moments, but I think actually, if you're not a designer, Maybe not everybody listening will know exactly what we mean by that. So could you just clarify for maybe some of the uh, more more business academia <laughs> type brains who might be listening? Um, could you just explain what we mean by magical moments in design? Mm -hmm. My take on it would be, um, for example, if you have a, just an ordinary form that would work as expected, you have fields and a button, but uh, all of a sudden this form, um, something happens that he gives you as a user a really good experience and it's it makes you happy and a bit curious and you get this positive feeling that you didn't expect. So it's a bit of a magic in something that could be boring, for example. Yeah, that's a really, really nice uh, example of it. Thank you for that. Just wasn't wasn't quite sure that the non-designers out there would quite, quite know how to grasp that phrase. But yeah, moving back uh, onto your original point, I mean, do I think you asked uh, me, do we think that there is room in the market for those magical moments? Do we think that it's something that those people making business decisions are even aware is available to them? And actually, you sort of asked, is it that they're not aware of it and that's why they're not asking for it? Or is it that they they are so focused on those KPIs, as you just said, that maybe it's becoming a barrier? Um, I mean... Jonas and Stefan, you probably have some some interesting insights into this um, from kind of outside a 
an agency perspective, but it's definitely interesting to hear from Ilva that that's not something that the agency gets that many requests for. What do you think uh, is kind of the cause of it? Should I go first, maybe? <laughs> because yes, I please, Jonas, yes. Uh, I, I, I think that it's a trust issue, first and foremost, that, that you... you you, you go with an agency, you might have looked at a portfolio, it's pretty much like a hire, but you go with someone and there's, you need to establish trust. Like, what is it that you can, well, you say you can do this, but you need to show it. And I think what is lacking oftentimes is that, like, have iterations to, to because that magical moment, it doesn't just out of, it doesn't appear out of thin air. So it needs to be iteration upon iteration upon iteration. There's nothing I fear more than when an agency go rogue and they just become quiet for a few days. And because you know, they're going to have this big presentation moment where they're like big reveal and you go like, oh yeah, this is not at all what I had in mind. Uh, it, but it might be their magic moment, but it's not our magic moment. So I need to have that sort of inclusion to be involved uh to have that that feeling myself i don't know stefan what do you say yeah i think uh working like with agencies and like with even designers internally i think there's a lot of space for magic moments but i think what happens is back to like how what you're talking about like how designers get so into dribble and they want to put something up there and they want to show it they kind of forget about the fundamentals and like how you can have magic moments just with doing the basics right like having the right flow like not having to go on endless things like i think everyone gets really caught up on like micro interactions micro copy uh, i mean my favorite thing is i think it's on swish here in sweden like a money transferring app after you send it you get like confetti that pops up and like those kinds of things but i think the uh, the idea of just like getting the basics and making that the magic moment for me has always been really important because that's the kind of the core of what the users are going to get through or allowing them to just get through errors by themselves like not having to rage quit your site i mean that's always a good kpi i put in but i think <laughs> a lot of them it's just like how you've defined it as they go into this thing like i need to have this like flashy type of transition or motion or animation um so for me it's always like just work on getting the basics right and make that as best and magical as possible and then add everything else on top of that. I think all of that is just layers on, on top of that. Jonas? Yeah, I was just going to add to what Stefan said and I, I want to hear more from Ilva, but, but I think it goes back a little bit to that part I was saying earlier about storytelling because if you're a good PM or a good designer, you can have that big reveal and you can do things that, that will blow your mind completely when you sit there during this presentation um but but uh, but i i i think the storytelling and i did the analogy when we had a um a pre-conversation for, for for this recording is is that we 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 are entertained by things that are on netflix and and and, and other outlets for for that disney or uh, hbo but i would say that that is it's not so often that that your mind is being blown like when you saw the matrix the first time or uh everything everywhere at once or right? something that just completely blows your mind and it's like blips and like something like that comes along every five or ten years and in between that it's something that you will rate like a a good solid six out of ten maybe <laughs> And it's not, it's, it's fine. It's, it, it is absolutely fine. But I think it's about setting expectation. I don't think that 
company should go to an agency like Ilvas and, and be like, oh, we want to have this magic and we want to do all the, this stuff. And oftentimes the, the, the agency would come back, yeah, sure. Uh, what's your budget? Well, we have about $10. Well, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, just to being having the magic in the in the things that the users want to do and not having it as a noise to create some extra um, fireworks on the side just to be able to do something fantastic, but to just create this great customer experience journey, have something that you can add to it, but you do it continuously. You don't do it as a big uh, agency drop off of a nice uh, mood board and uh, things that you can do. You add it to the everyday sprints or design. Yeah. And um, it wasn't, I don't think I actually put it in the notes that I sent across to you guys, but Ilva, you actually did tell me something super interesting um, about an article or something that you'd read recently last time we spoke, which was about um, the correlations between creativity and courage and how you thought that that might impact um, kind of people's ability to to create, like, I suppose, more out there designs or try new things. And that that creativity can be, of course, nurtured through sort of drawing and doing visual arts when you're kind of like younger and when you're training. And if that creativity does then translate to courage that might affect the way that they design and the designs they put out there. Can you kind of expand on it a little bit better? Yeah, I couldn't really find the article back, but I'm sure I read it. And it was uh, that correlation that, I mean, it kind of demands a bit courage. And to have to express the creativity, you have to take a stance. You have to have an opinion. You have to dare something, and um, the more kind of if you just produce and think about the users or based on insights, you perhaps don't need that courage and in the same way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jonas, this this would be quite interesting to hear from you coming from sort of when you were younger being really interested in comics and um, wanting to be a comic artist, you know, when you do that kind of visual art, you really are kind of putting your ideas right down on paper for people to look at and say, you know, yay or nay to. Do you think that that kind of cultivates your ability to just boldly throw something out there where maybe someone who hasn't had that practice is maybe a little bit more afraid to put something out there, regardless of whether it's an artistic idea or not? Yeah, I I think <clears throat> I I think most really good artists are are driven by that fear of like rejection or or anxiety or being like oh imposter syndrome like I can't do anything like oh what what it what I can't believe it. it's just probably just my parents saying that I'm good at something because they they need to give me that kind of encouragement but but I I I I I think more than anything I think practice makes perfect I think. If it comes back to what Stefan started talking about, like drawing or whatever it is that you're doing, like you need to keep things up because I I, I stopped doing drawings and and, and uh, I wanted to do comics. Uh, turned out that I wasn't like a sustainable career choice, and then I wanted to be a screenwriter. And it turns out, like in Sweden, unless you're Ingmar Bergman, like there aren't that many jobs in 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 movies. So I made some really like poor decisions in terms of that. And I kind of stopped the drawing. And whenever I pick up an iPad or a piece of paper, I want to start drawing. 
you're so rusty. So if I could give like any advice, it's just like sticking with it, like have a side project that even if you just do a, a website or an app about your dog or your cat or anything, like because mm -hmm. after a little while, if you pick up any kind of tool and you've been away for a while, first of all, you're going to take two hours for it to update to whatever latest version that, that that's been. <laughs> but, but, but then again, you, you sit there and you kind of stare at that blank screen or, or, or something and be like, yeah, all right, what am I supposed to do? So just keep at it. Uh, I, I, more than anything. Um, mm. yeah. Yeah. Ilva, what would your piece of advice be, I suppose, to someone who, you know, they're early enough in their career, they've not kind of like lost the love of drawing yet, but maybe drawing's not a part of their, their daily work anymore. How would you say they could kind of maintain it, I suppose, to keep the benefits of it? Um, I think that I've been doing that the last couple of years, missing with having the drawing more, um, especially during the pandemic when you couldn't be a whiteboard ninja anymore, you were kind of just stuck behind the screen. Yeah. So I think that I'm, I've done a lot about um, after doing research interviews, I probably, mm. I did sketch some comics or um, nice. to kind of uh, describe the experience the user had, or I can use it as a trigger in a discussion about a future state you want for your customer experience. Mm. And I've added to the developer. So I've kind of uh, forced my drawings on them <laughs> and they have been so happy. I love that. I love yeah. that. And have you found that that's been really helpful to kind of integrate that into your process? Yes, really, because it has been a full process and it's much more communicative than a, perhaps a, a PowerPoint or a quote. So it adds a better understanding for you, for the user. And that's what's important in my job. Yeah. And, um, I think that also I've kind of that imposter syndrome, you can really lower the bar. I mean, you get across with the stick buttons or really easy drawings that everyone can do it. So I would kind of just encourage everyone else to do it as a yeah. practice. Amazing. I love it. And I think that's a great piece of advice. Like if all you can draw is a stick man, still, still put it out there. It's like what you said earlier, Stefan, about, you know, that if you just get something out and whack it on a whiteboard, really, that's, that's all you absolutely need to do, isn't it? What would you say is kind of a, a good piece of advice for younger designers who are maybe they don't they don't have to do drawing anymore, but maybe it would be good for them to keep it up? I think the one the other thing is like back to even like Eunice's thing about like uh, like what it can do is like I think getting comfortable showing sketches early mm. uh, and just being rough like and getting feedback just from that really yeah. I think helps you build that courage. Uh, mm -hmm. as a creative as well because you're getting used to like I think the other thing that happens with a lot of designers is they don't want to show something until it's done until it's polished until it's there and getting comfortable showing unfinished rough and like even like Hugo was saying like being able to show a sketch to a developer I think for them mm -hmm. they feel more invited to give feedback on something that's not digital yet because they're like oh this isn't mm -hmm. final you haven't put any UI thoughts into it yeah, uh, I can still give you feedback. And I think for that, like getting comfortable just doing really crappy sketches and showing them to people uh, and getting feedback, I think really helps. And uh, my favorite, one of my favorite things to do is I actually make product owners and developers and QA sketch with me. So I run like sketching ideation workshops where I make them draw the ideas for me and then I, and then I remix it after. Uh, I love that. That's that amazing. Podcast, but it's more of like that kind of thing, but getting them involved as well. 
Oh, I'd love to see that happen. Jonas, were you going to say something? <laughs> I just really quickly that, that I, I love that Stefan talked about animations and all that. And I, like I, I've never seen uh, great design come from like a bunch of uh, sticky notes that, that, that sits on, on, a, on, a, on a whiteboard, usually that are like filled with notes. I tend to ruin like um, pads because I, I create small animations. Uh, during meetings, when I when I'm like, oh, you know, and then you just flip the whole pad, and you can see an animation of things that I do, bouncy balls and people interacting with each other, stuff, stuff like that. And usually, someone go like, God damn it, who ruined the, all the the pads? And I'm like, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. The audacity of people. But I think you you can still like incorporate kind of playful things, and it's still kind of funny to do these animations and and realize that oh, I can still learn things just by playing around with the things that you have uh, in your office. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's amazing. I love that. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of it, but there's a fantastic book. This is not a plug-in, by the way, for the listeners. I actually just love this book. <laughs> it's uh, Creative Confidence, and it's literally about how you know you can incorporate creativity into any role. You know, you don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be a traditionally creative person to be able to benefit from kind of honing in on the ways in which you can be creative and that it can be sort of applied to pretty much any profession in a positive way. It's not just for the, you know, the sketchers and the painters and the musicians out there. We can all be creative and it can benefit all of us. Um, there's one last thing that I wanted to ask you guys before we wrap things up. Uh, we've kind of, we've run through, you know, some of the benefits of doing that drawing work for the designers and how it can kind of help them improve like their, their process and the quality of their work. But on the flip side, for perhaps some of the some of the people working in the business who maybe don't have that visual background, they don't have any kind of training in, I suppose, recognizing good design. And all they really know is the familiar designs they see around them. Is there any advice that you would give decision makers who who don't have any creative background on sort of looking at creative work and really, I suppose, being able to put a little bit of faith in something that maybe is a little bit different and it isn't, it doesn't fit into that kind of IKEA website box um, and kind of maybe be a little bit braver, I suppose, in in giving it a go. Um, Ilva, I'm gonna ask for your opinion on this first because I think it's the most relevant to your uh, to your sub point. Sorry to put you on the spot, putting you first. Yeah, <laughs> I was kind of thinking, yeah. Um... That's really interesting. It's a tricky one. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I, I'm passing it over to someone right now. Okay. I'm yeah, going to pass okay. it over to Jonas, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so I, I would, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but if you're a pretty good storyteller, at least, like maybe you don't have, or you enjoy like conveying your message. And, and if you're in a room and you want to talk to creatives about what you're looking for, you can do analogies like, oh, listen, uh, maybe you're into music, for instance, like, and you can describe a situation, what it felt like the first time you heard a piece of music that, that, that really changed you in some ways. Like it, it could be you're, you're, you're into hip hop or, or folk music or anything like that. And you can just pick something and, and you can kind of see how that resonates with people be like, oh, okay. You want something that makes you feel like sit up and, and, and take notice. And you might go for a feeling rather than say like, oh, I want something that looks just like the github.com website. So talk about like a story or, or something that happened to you. I, I think that that goes a long way to conveying a message. 
Amazing. And just to sort of clarify for people listening, you're saying that that would be that would be a good way for maybe a manager to approach if they're trying to explain what they want to get out of something to a designer is to yeah. go for the story angle. I would I would say that if you are able to tell like, oh, listen, our competitors, they are this type of artist in the business. Mm. And then you you just say, well, they are this kind of band or, or artist, but we want to be this person. And you sort of see how, how that stands out, even if you're describing like hip hop music or, or rock music and be like, oh, that was actually a disruption. Like, oh, we want to be the Led Zeppelin or we want to be whatever. And tell them that story because there's something that you're passionate about. Maybe you're passionate about movies or, or music, but you can tell that much better than you can probably describe like a creative process or a website. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Stefan, did you uh, did you have some thoughts on this? I can see you in the corner nodding away. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of them have been said, so I'm just going to echo what's been said. I think for me, it's like, it's always about storytelling, and I think that's the most important one. So if you can find a designer who can tell you a good story during a portfolio review and not just be like, this is the design I did, and here's why. But if they can take you along and show you, like, the past, like, back to, like, what Jonas was saying about, like, they can show you the sketches that were binned and why they were binned and why you kind of went in a good direction to tell a good story, I think... One of my favorites was like I was I remember interviewing for a job in in Toronto and uh, it was a portfolio interview and they're like oh show us some work you're most proud of and I was like the one I'm most proud of doesn't have a good story but here's my greatest failure and I just presented a project that was the greatest failure and why it failed and I ended up getting the job but I mean it was just like one of those things like I, I just wanted to do something where the story was better than like here we increased the conversion by two percent on this checkout page so for me it was like that that the, the one where had to go through different revisions, had, we completely forgot how customer service used the page was like a way better story than, uh, than the other way around. That's amazing. I love that. That's a fantastic example. Thank you. (laughs) Ilva, I'm going to, going to pop you back on the spot again. (laughs) It was great input from Jonas and Stefan. Yeah. I think that sort of, I think it was you, Stefan, that said earlier about uh, if you just uh, think outside of your industry or how other do it. I think that is, I mean, not being just in your domain uh, or your line of business, but if you look on a broader and um, like fashion, for example, if you're not in fashion or where can you have some inspiration from not to see only the bits and pieces that you are used to or do it in the same way as you always do, but try to have some inspiration out of the box. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. Once again, our guests on today's podcast have been Stefan, who's a product designer at Walt, Jonas, who is the CMO of Besito, and Ilva, who is a UX designer and UX manager at InUse. Now, if you are hiring for new technical roles or if you're looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Hannah Holloway, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at hannah.holloway at evolutionnordics.com or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash SE. So thanks again so much to all of our guests and all of our listeners. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode and hope that you can join us next time. Ciao.